We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. Five verses. These five verses, I got to remind you kind of where we were and bring you up to where we are. And then we're going to look really at Timothy. It's kind of almost a character study of Timothy a little bit because that's what Paul does as he commends Timothy. So you remember Philippians chapter 2. We begin in the section where he says, in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. He's wanting us to have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. So he says, look out not only for your own interest, don't be self-serving, but look out for the interest of others. Also, that doesn't come naturally. So humility, looking out for others, putting others before yourself. We see those principles early in chapter two. He transitions to have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate example And as he talks about that ultimate example, it's one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he came and humbled himself and he came in the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. And as he did that, even as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. So then again, we see humility and we see seeking to serve. And then he tells us, work out your own salvation. So what does it mean to work out my own salvation? He moves to Timothy and he's going to commend Timothy to the Philippians. And as he does this, we're going to look at several characteristics of what this commendation is. Now, I I want to argue for you this morning that when he says, work out your salvation, when he says, have this mind, which is in Christ Jesus, that as he moves to Timothy and as he's telling them, Timothy's going to come, he's going to come soon. He says soon twice. As he's telling them this, he's also saying Timothy's a model. You can look at Christ, you can look at Paul, but then later on he's gonna say, look at those who walk likewise. Timothy's one of those people. In this text that we look at and we'll read here in just a moment, he tells us also about Timothy. He he starts off with, I hope, and then later on he, he says he's putting his faith and trust in Christ that he will come too. And so he's using the right caveats here that I hope I will come see you. I think I'll come see you, but I don't know the future. It's uncertain. So Timothy, let me bring you some reminders by way of introduction on Timothy. So Timothy, I, I used the wrong word up here. I realized it about two minutes before it was time to get on stage and the band was already up or I would have come changed it. I, I put up here, Timothy's biracial. There's only one race, it's the human race. Timothy is multi-ethnic. So in your mind, if you're writing, or if you're taking notes, just write multi-ethnic there. He's multi-ethnic. He has a Jewish mother, he has a Greek father. His dad was not always in the picture, scripturally speaking, and was certainly not mentioned as his spiritual leader. So if you're out there and you think because you're multi-ethnic or because your dad was not the spiritual leader in your home, that your mom or your grandmother or somebody else was, that's no excuse. Here's Timothy. He's being commended. And when Paul talks about him and writes, he talks about in 2 Timothy 1.5 about his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. He doesn't talk about his dad. I, I don't know what his dad was like. He dealt with sickness and infirmity. 1 Timothy 5.23, no longer drink only water. I put the dots there. That's the part where it says he could drink alcohol. We'll talk about that at a different time. Use wisdom, be wise, be careful. We don't have time to go there. For the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments, you have an illness You have something that prohibits you. You have something along your life that you go, man, this is just going to keep me from doing something for God. No, it's not. No excuse. Here, we're going to look at Timothy. He was young. Hey, there you go. I'm too young to do something amazing for God. No, 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 no. Philippians was written before 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he writes, let no one despise your youth, but set an example. So I say to all of you this morning, 
You're not too young to set the example. And we're going to look at what that example is, especially sophomores, juniors, seniors. Set the example and disciple and pour back into those who may be a step or two behind you in the Christian faith and pour into them as you look also to those who may be a step or two in front of you in the Christian faith and you have mentors that you are looking forward to and you're also dealing with those who are younger than you in the faith. He still needed to grow, but he had a heart for God. All right, so what's your main idea of the text? It's a travel log. He's going to talk about travel, but in the travel, he's not just saying Timothy's going to come to you soon. He's commending Timothy to them. So your main idea of your text this morning is that Paul commends Timothy's character. Paul commends Timothy's character. Now in this text, as we read it, I've got five for you. We're going to move through them quickly. Don't be, don't be worried about five points. We usually don't have five points, but the text drives how many points we have. And so we have five here. How does Paul commend Timothy? Paul commends Timothy because Timothy has a love for God. Timothy shows a love for others. Timothy is dependable. Timothy is humble. And Timothy is teachable. Let me read our text to you. As I read our text to you, I want you to pay attention to these different things. Verse 19, I hope. Verse 24, I trust. Just like James says, say, Lord willing. We know we don't know the future. Here he says, I hope and I trust. This is Paul doing what James commends us to do in his book. And he says, I hope to send to you soon. And then he'll say soon again later. So he's indicating to them, Timothy's coming soon. Why? We don't know. Maybe it's because he's sending Epaphroditus back and they sent Epaphroditus expecting Timothy to return. They wanted Timothy. We don't know. We're not told about that. Maybe he's wanting them not to be disappointed. Maybe he's trying to explain to them that Timothy's not coming right now because I still have need of him at the current moment. He'll come soon. Be patient. Maybe he's explaining why he's not coming. Paul himself's not coming. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. It's not that important, but we wonder questions like these. So we look in verse 19 where it says, as I read of chapter two, Philippians I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered by news of you. Now notice what he's doing here. I'm sending you a letter saying, be unified, have the mind of Christ, be humble, seek to serve others. I'm gonna send a follow-up visit. I'm gonna check on you. Do this, bring me a report. Timothy's gonna come and I'm expecting good news. Verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not the interest of Christ. But you know Timothy, his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. So we look at it, our first point. Love for God. Here we see in our text that as Paul is talking, Paul writes and he says that he wants to send Timothy soon. He says in verse 24, I have no one like him. There's a unique aspect about Timothy. He says in verse 21, 
for they all seek their own interest. Now, who's the they all? This, this they all can't be everybody, right? He can't be talking about Luke. He can't be talking about Barnabas. He can't be talking about everybody, but everybody perhaps that's around him in Rome that he could send back. He's saying to them, they all seek their own interest. Perhaps there's a limited they all that he is referencing here. Or perhaps sometimes as you commend somebody to others, you, you put down the, the rest of people as you're saying, he just excels them in such a way that he makes them all seem like they seek their own interest. However, Paul intends this, it's a commendation of Timothy. He's different. He's not like everybody else. He's genuinely concerned for your welfare. He doesn't seek his own interest. He seeks those of Jesus Christ. So could it be said of us that we seek concerns of Jesus Christ more than anybody else? Is it said of us that we are such people that no one else around us is like us? Now, when you're in this place and you look around and everybody loves Jesus and everybody wants to have Christian community, you might think you're just normal. When you get out in the world and you're working in a place where you're different and you may be alone in your Christian faith, are your superiors, are your bosses, are your supervisors going to look at you and say, they have no one like that person. I have no one that I can rely on like that person. There is something different. There is a light in that person. There is something unique about that person. And Paul here writing says there's something different about Timothy. I can't help but think here that in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 2.21, he says they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here's a question of application for you. If you look back over the past few months of your life, if you look back over the past semester, over the past year, are you a Philippians 1.21 Christian? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain? Or are you a Philippians 2.21 Christian? They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Where is our focus? Where is our mentality? Verse 22, he says also that he has served with me. I love the way he phrases this. He doesn't say he has served me, Paul. He says he has served with me, alongside me. It's one of my favorite phrases. We don't serve other human beings in this life. We serve alongside other humans to serve the ultimate king, King Jesus. He says, Timothy, even though Timothy has been like a son and he's been like the father, Timothy has served with him in the gospel. The focus there is on the gospel. So here I see in this a love for God. He has voluntarily served with Paul for the gospel. He's different than all the others. He's not interested in his own self-interest. He's interested in the interest of Christ. So let me say this to you, and this is one of my fears, is that sometimes we drift into a legalistic box-checking philosophy. You can do this with rules that are bad, but you can do this with rules that are really good. And I mention to you frequently and I push frequently to be in the scripture, no Bible, no breakfast, read the word daily. I believe the word changes lives, hear sermons preached, listen to sermons preached, meditate on scripture, memorize scripture. But the reason that we are in scripture, the reason that we pray, the reason that we meditate on scripture, the reason that we go to church is so that our affections for God will increase and so that our love for God will increase and our love for self will decrease. If you get up every morning and read a verse of scripture so you can check the box to say I've read a verse of scripture. If you pray your five minute prayer so you can say I prayed my five minute prayer. Even if you're doing a journal entry for 30 minutes just so you can say I did my journal entry for 30 minutes and you have no growing affection for God. 
You have no decreasing affection for self. Your hatred of sin is not growing, but you're living a double standard life. That is not the end goal. The scriptures, the prayer, the worship singing, the church attendance, the authentic Christian fellowship is to increase our affections and love for Almighty God. It's to draw our affections closer to Him so that we can love God and do what we please. We can't drift into some legalistic system where we think just because I read my Bible, God loves me more. Just because I pray a little bit, God loves me more. Just because I go to church, I'm okay. It's our affections and our heart being set towards Almighty God and our affections for ourselves decreasing as we recognize our sinful tendencies. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to meditate on scripture. I want you to memorize scripture, but I want you even more than that to be known as a people that love God. And it flows if you love God. It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it, love others as yourself. Here we see in this a love for others. It's in these same verses. Look at verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, don't miss this. If you underline in your Bible, underline that word concern. If you're taking notes, write down the word, verse 20, concerned. That word is interesting because what Paul does here in the original languages in the Greek is that word concern there is also the same word that he uses in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, and it's the word anxious there. And there he says in verses four, chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, wait, wait a second here, Paul. What are you up to? You're commending Timothy because I have no one that will be as concerned about you but then you turn right around in chapter four, which remember there are no chapters, it's just a little later in the letter when he's originally writing this. And he says, do not be anxious or overly concerned about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I, I don't know what's going on here. Perhaps there's a fine line between concern for others in an anxiety or a worry that's unhealthy spiritually because you recognize God's not in control. Perhaps, perhaps there's a line here where it's okay to be more anxious for others, but not anxious for our own interests and ourselves. I, I can't explain to you exactly, Paul's not clear exactly why he, he commends Timothy for being that concerned for somebody else. But then he turns right around and says, don't be anxious for anything. I, I can't justify it and say it's okay to be anxious for others. We're not to be anxious, but we are to be concerned. We are to show a love for others. We're not to seek our own interests. We're to seek the interest of others. And this is one of the things I love about serving here at Cedarville. Your faculty and your staff, I hear stories all the time. I got an email this morning, as a matter of fact, about a faculty member having conversations with students, asking questions about students because he loves students and cares for students. And that's all over our campus. Faculty members that are here because they love you and they care for you. They're not here just to get a job. They're not here just for a paycheck. They're here because they love you deeply and they wanna see you grow in Christ. And it's an honor to serve alongside such faculty and staff. Can I commend to you what Paul commends to Timothy? Have a genuine love for others. Those of you that, that may want to serve in the church one day or may want to be a missionary and may want to, want to serve as a lay elder or you're going to want to do ministry at some point in time, can, can I just tell you it doesn't matter 
And people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care if you know every syllable of the Bible and you don't care about them at all. It's your love for others that's gonna bring them in to listen to what the word has to say. Can I tell you, those of you that are gonna use, which is all of you, your vocational calling to help further the kingdom of God, that those coworkers need to know that you care for them. Can I say this that's really hard to us right now? Those people who disagree with us on a worldview or on a political philosophy need to know that we still love them and care about them before they're gonna wanna listen to the message of the gospel and understand why our worldview is so vastly different from theirs, why we have hope, why we're not nearly as concerned about death in a COVID-19 world because we know where we're going and we have the hope of the gospel. But unless we love others, unless we show that concern for others, if all we're trying to do is win a debate and kill people in the process of winning that debate, verbally, that's not showing the love of Christ to them. We're more concerned about winning a debate verbally than the soul of the individual that we're arguing with. So love for others here. Paul commends it in Timothy. Number three, he's dependable. What's the definition of dependable? Just two words here I put down, trustworthy and reliable. Where do I get this out of the text? Verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. He commends him to the Philippians, but they already know his proven worth. Perhaps that's why they wanted him to come. He's dependable. Can I say to you that we should be dependable? Part of spiritual maturity is being dependable. So what do I mean by being dependable? Do what you say you will do and do it in a timely manner. I'm gonna do this, but you never do it. You're not dependable. If you want to be a good husband, a good mother, a good spouse, a good employee, a good church person, a good Christian, mature follower of Christ, you need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. When I say I will do something, I will do it and I'll get it done in a timely manner. You show up on time. You respond in a timely manner. You follow up and you follow through. You don't make promises that you can't keep. I could give you illustration after illustration of how parenting will teach you that you don't make promises you can't keep because your kids will always remind you, even, even though they don't catch the caveat words sometimes, maybe. Those are important words. Your kids will remind you, but you said, but you said, don't make promises you can't keep. Be dependable. Paul commends Timothy because he's humble. Here's where I see this in the text. Verse 22, he served with him as a son with a father. Timothy was not Paul's son. He was his son in the faith, you could say, but he voluntarily placed himself as a son with a father. Think about the images of the son walking in dad's boots with the boots that don't fit, following along with dad as dad's working with his tools. There's the play tools that the son is working with. He's following right along. And here Paul commends him and says, as a son with a father, he served with me in the faith. He mimicked what his dad did. The father tells the son what to do. The son does it. If the son doesn't do it, there are consequences. And this is the illustration he gives. As a son with a father, he served with me in the faith. In order to place yourself under the authority of somebody else in this way, it takes a humility. This humility we've already seen in 2.3 and in 2.8. In humility, consider others more significant than yourself. And Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. We should be humble. We should want to be humble. We should seek to be humble. Where the world tells us to be proud and arrogant and prideful and to have all of these things of ourselves, we look at a biblical worldview and we say, no, I need to be humble. Number five, teachable. Definition, able to be taught. 
You get this, especially at a university setting. Verse 20, there was no one like him. He served with me as a son with a father. A son with a father is teachable. So I say to you, don't be that student. I don't teach as many classes here as I did before I came here, but there was always that student. There's that student in every class. You know that student, that student that raises their hand to ask a question, but they're not really asking a question. They just want to talk. And then their question drags on and on and on. And everybody looks at that student like, what, you're taking up time from the professor? What what are you doing? That student that needs to correct the professor in the classroom, don't be that student. It's not as bad here as it is at graduate school. Because here, we got a good authentic Christian community. We've got great faculty. But after you graduate from here, you're going to go to grad school, and some of you, and you're going to think, oh, I already know it all. Don't be that student. Don't be that person that thinks you know everything so that you have to be untaught before you can be taught. That person unwilling to even consider something else, something new. That person who reads a book not because they want to learn from it or listens to a sermon, not because they want to learn from it, because they want to critique it. He should have done this, he should have done this, and he didn't do this right, and this wasn't right, and this wasn't right. Boy, I could have done a better job than that. You're not teachable. Humble, teachable. Don't be that student. All right, here's what he commends. Paul commends Timothy and his love for God. Oh, my desire and prayer for you all, for myself, is that our love for God would increase more and more. You notice that's in our core values, right? Love for others. The second commandment is like unto it. We should love others. We should love one another. We should love others outside of our Cedarville worldview. We should be dependable. If we're going to be dependable and humble and teachable, and we could reword those in a different way. And what could we come up with? Maybe something like, I don't know, excellence and effort, integrity and conduct. Something along those lines, perhaps. Dependable, humble, and teachable. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Knowing it's God who works in you. To will and to work for his good purposes. We can't do this by ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit and through the word of God and through prayer and through the help of God and his spirit working within us, we can be known as a generation that loves God, that loves others, that's dependable, that's humble, and that's teachable. And that's what Paul commends. Oh God, may it be so in my life. May it be so in all of our lives. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to have an affection and a desire that is ever increasing for you? Would you help us to love others and love them well, Lord, because you love them and they are created in your image and they are worthy of love and respect? Lord, would you help us to share the gospel, the good news with everyone? Would you help us to be dependable? Would you help us to be humble? And Lord, would you help us to be teachable? By the power of your spirit, working through your word, minister in our lives in this way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.